You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. All right, well, good morning, Trace. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody feeling good? Glad to be at church. Can we celebrate being at church? Is that a good thing? I think it's a good thing. Excited to have each and every one of you here. Hey, my name's Aaron. I am one of the pastors here, and I want to say welcome to all of you in this room. I also want to say welcome to those watching online. I've met several first-time guests, or actually over the last several weeks, uh, meeting more first-time guests, but now meeting first and second and third-time guests. And one of the things that's not uncommon for me to hear from one of you is that before you decided to come in here, uh, you actually got online, you know, checked us out on the website, make, made sure that we're not weird or anything like that, right? And maybe watched a couple sermons. And because that was your story, my guess is that is somebody's story right now watching online. And so I want to talk to you really quick. If you're watching online right now, I want to let you know that what you're experiencing there is not anything close than what you're going compared to what you will experience in here. And for those in the room that believe what I'm saying, can we just give it up and encourage those that are watching online to come and join us? Well, before we get into my sermon today, I actually want to do something. I actually want to celebrate something. If you're a part of any of our leadership circles around here, at some point you will have heard the axiom, what you celebrate gets repeated. What you celebrate gets repeated. And so we have a habit around here of when we see someone do something or we see something happen that we would like to see happen again, we like to celebrate it. In other words, if somebody does something awesome, we'd love to celebrate that in front of other people as a way of pointing to it and saying, yes, that, like that, that's it. That's what we're talking about. That's like, that's what we would like to see continue to be repeated here at Trace Church. And so I'd like to do that right now, but actually do it on more of a larger scale. And so what I'd like to do really quick is just look back at 2019 and celebrate some things with you uh, that we accomplished as a church. The first one is this. In 2019, our serve teams grew to 173 people. And just to give you some context for that, that's 35% of our adult attendance. Now, for those of you that that number still doesn't represent much, in most churches, what you'll find is that you have about 10 to 15% of the people doing all the work. And so the fact that we have 35% is great, but we don't want to stop there. And truly, just to give us a measurable goal, I hope in 2020 we can increase that percentage to 50%. In 2019, we had 230 people experiencing group life here at Trace. And so many of you made that step. In 2019, we grew in attendance by 10%. Now, for those of you that are new, I think it's important. I know I repeat this a lot, but I think it's worth repeating. Uh, We're never going to be a church that is defined by how big we are. We don't even want to become like a really big church. Uh, Our model is that we'll grow and then we'll plant a church, and we'll grow and we'll plant a church. And so uh, you need to know this. It's a phrase we use a lot around here. We do pay attention to the numbers because every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. You are a number that gets counted every week, but we don't want you just to feel like a number because we know you have a story. When you walk through those doors today, you came in with a unique story that God cares about. And so we want to make sure that we pay attention to that. Now, it's possible you look at that 10% number and you think, well, that's not a whole lot of growth. I also want to remind you that in 2019, we planted a church and we took 65 people from this location and we sent them with about $50,000 up to the north part of our city in Northgate. And we planted Trace Church Northgate that is now Timber Creek. And just to show you kind of the philosophy behind church planting instead of just trying to build one location really big, that's those 65 people that we sent has now become 225 people in just one year. That's called exponential growth. That's why we're always going to, really hear what I'm about to say. We're never going to be a church that is focused on our seating capacity. We want to be a church that's focused on our sending 
capacity, which is why we are committed to planting churches. And the last one, I think, actually it's not the last one, the next one, uh, 35% growth in our giving, and we haven't celebrated this yet, but because of your generosity, in December we were able to put aside $42,000 to a long-term savings account so we can plan for the future of Trace Church. And so thank you for those of you that maybe are still on the sidelines. Man, can I encourage you to invest in the kingdom of God through Trace Church. We believe God has got big plans in store for this church, and our our capacity for ministry will always come on the other end of your contribution and commitment. And so we want to encourage you to continue to partner with us through your financial giving. And then the last one is my most favorite one uh, to celebrate. 59 people were obedient in baptism in 2019. Yes, we can celebrate that. That was up from 35 in 2018. Friends, God is doing something here. God is doing something here. And I want to celebrate one more thing. It's actually in 2020, but it's still worth celebrating. We had 102 people sign up for our first Rooted experience, and so we want to give it up for that. That's incredible as well. That was our goal to get 100 people to go through that for the first time. And so I want to do this. I just want to take the time. We don't hardly ever do anything like this, but I want to do it right now. And so please participate with me. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet in just a moment if one of these things is true for you. And as you stand, I just want you to keep standing. So if you got in a group here at Trace in 2019, will you stand to your feet? In 2019, stay standing. If you, st- if you joined a serving team in 2019 here at Trace, will you stand to your feet? Keep, keep, yeah, stay standing. If you were baptized at Trace in 2019, will you stand to your feet? If you rededicated your life to Jesus in some way, would you, in 2019, will you stand to your feet? feet goodness. Uh, if you made any other commitment that you would say is, was just a driving commitment for you, where you're like maybe your faith became your, your primary focus, the driving force of your life in 2019, or any other huge commitment for Jesus, would you stand to your feet in 2019? Go ahead and stand. Can we celebrate all the decisions that were made? You can go ahead and have a seat. Here's what I know. At any given point in our lives, we're living kind of in between two parallel stories. One of the stories is our story. I would call it the lower story. Our lower story is what we live. It's what we see. It's what we breathe. It's what we get. But there's also an upper story, and this is the story that only God understands. And what I've come to understand and what I've come to see is every time we make a faith decision, every time we take a step towards Jesus, the upper story that only God understands becomes a bigger part of the lower story that we're living out. And for those of you that have made some of those steps, you're going to get this. When we make those steps, it's almost as if a fog is lifted off of our mind and we can begin to see more clearly what God wants for our lives. And you know this, and this is why we use this statement all the time around here. We want you to leverage your influence, every bit of influence you have to lead people to Jesus because so many people right now are walking through life with blinders on, truly not knowing about the grace of God, truly not knowing that God has a purpose for their life, that God could radically transform their life, listen to me, regardless of how their story reads up until today. It's our responsibility to make sure that we're leveraging our influence to invite people into this story so that God's upper story can connect with our lower story. And if there's anything that I want to make sure that we have 2020 vision on in 2020, it's that everyone that we know knows that they are invited into the family of God. And that reminds me and leads me to my message title for today, that everyone is invited. 
If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn them open or turn them on, and you can find your way over to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be in the text today between verses 36 and 50. And so if you have your Bibles, again, turn them open, turn them on, however you read your Bible. If you don't have your Bibles with you today, uh, I would strongly encourage you to bring them every week. But if you don't have them today, feel free to follow along on the screen. I'll give you a quick context of what we're jumping into. At this point, Jesus has been doing ministry for a while. His name is getting known. He's developing a reputation. And so with that happening, one of the Pharisees decides to invite Jesus over to his house for dinner, probably just to observe, like, who is this guy? Is he really a prophet? Is he really who they say he is? And so this is the context that we land in, in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, most scholars believe that she was a prostitute, and so we'll go with that. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Let's pause there for a second. One of the things that I think we fail to do at times when studying the Bible is we fail to venture deeper into the story of the people behind the pages. And this young woman is no different. This young woman had a story, and I can promise you what wasn't a part of her story is that she wasn't a little girl at one point in time, and she didn't ever think, you know what, you know what I want to be when I grow up? I want to be a hooker in Jerusalem. Yeah, I want to have my very own pimp. I mean, we've got to have goals, right? I can assure you that's not how her story read. But she had a story. Maybe, and I don't know this, we don't know this, but maybe she was sexually abused, potentially by her dad. It would have been common in those days. Or maybe another family member, and maybe it got so bad that the only thing that she felt she could do was to leave. And so she left and she ran away, and maybe she's at a far distance, no family members around, and she's on her own, and she doesn't know how to survive. And then she kind of thinks back, well, There were some guys in my life that thought that my body was something that could be used, and so maybe I'll use my body, and maybe that's what I'll do to earn some money. Maybe that was her last resort. We don't know this, but she had a story, and Jesus knew she had a story, which is why when he looked at her, he didn't see a hooker. That was just a symptom of her sin and situation. He saw a person. He saw a broken young woman, who desperately needed the love and forgiveness of God. Church, sometimes I believe we fail to remember that there's a story behind every messed up person that we know, including you. Actually, let me say that different. There's a story behind every jacked up person that you've ever judged, and I've ever judged. And yeah, yeah, I get it. I mean, they may have caused a lot of the mess of their life, right? They probably made some unwise decisions, but you don't know what they went through. You, you don't know, and I don't know what they've been through. Jesus does. And do you know, what I, you know what I absolutely love about Jesus? Is he has a habit of receiving people that we often reject. It's just something that he did, and it's something that he continues to do. Because he understands far better than we ever could that, listen to me, no one is too far from God to receive his grace. Can I say it again? No one is ever too far gone to receive God's grace. 
Several years ago, I was a pastor of a church down in Arizona, and one Sunday morning, there was a young lady who showed up, and she was dressed like very provocatively, uh, like everybody knew where she was, if I can say it that way. And I had some leaders that were a part of the church there where I was a pastor who came up to me and said, hey, Aaron, uh, should we go talk to this young lady? Um, and, and I'm like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. As far as we know, this young lady could have been out at the club last night, which is kind of what she looked to be dressed for. She could have been out at the club last night. She could have met a guy that she never met, went home with him, slept with him, and woke up this morning and realized her life was a mess. And in that moment, maybe God was able to get a thought in through to her that she needed to make some changes in her life, and she felt in that moment that maybe that change begins with church. And so maybe that's what she threw on, the same, the same outfit that she wore to the club last night. And she showed up here at our church. What she doesn't need is a scolding. What she needs is to be reminded that there is a Savior. And so we decided to love her instead of judge her. You know what I've come to understand? We have a tendency. We all have a tendency to judge people more harshly when they struggle with something that we don't struggle with. We all have a tendency to be more harsh with people who are doing things that maybe we don't understand. Let's stay on this kind of subject of you know, what we wear to church and stuff. I came from one of those faith environments where you heard statements like, you know, you put on your best for God. When you're in God's house, you wear your Sunday best. Anybody else grew up in one of those faith environments? Yes, several of you. And that's stupid. And it breaks down for a lot of reasons. Uh, if you go to Africa, which I've been to several times, and I've been to several different churches in Africa, including an underground church in Ethiopia. And if you go to one of those churches, sometimes you'll find people that aren't wearing hardly any clothes at all because that's their culture. Do they love Jesus any less than I do? Because that's just kind of a part of their culture. Does this break down at some point? Sure it does. But can we all agree that we want to be a church that doesn't like judge people for what they're wearing, especially if they come here for the first time? Can we all agree that we want to be a church that welcomes people just as they are? And this whole idea where it's like, hey, we wear our Sunday best when we come to God's house, like I said, it is stupid because number one, this ain't God's house. There's a little Kentucky for you right there. This ain't, this ain't God's house. This is God's house. Can I remind you that God doesn't live in buildings. He lives in bodies. That's a tasty thought right there. So I'm going to say it again. And when I say it, you're going to go, mmm, that's a tasty thought. Ready? God doesn't live in buildings. He lives in bodies. That's good. That's good. <clears throat> so here's my advice. When it comes to the clothes that you wear when you come to church, just put some on. That's all I ask. And to illustrate that point, next week I'm going to preach in a Speedo. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, get that image. Stay with me. Come as you are. Come as you are. With all your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups, come as you are. With your doubts and distractions and disappointments, come as you are with your sins and your struggles. And for some of us, even our self-righteousness, come as you are. Yes, at some point, the truth of God is going to challenge you to not stay as you are. If you're new to Trace, we get our name Trace from the words truth and grace put together. At some point, the truth of God is not going to want to keep you where you are now. But listen to me, the grace of God, which is always what Jesus led with, the grace of God beckons you, pleads with you to come to the feet of Jesus, to come to the foot of the cross just as you are. 
because everyone is invited into the family of God. Let me pick up in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, meaning Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. This past week, I was reading in Mark chapter 2 and came across that verse. I love this verse, one of my favorite verses where Jesus says, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. And I'll be honest with you, there's something kind of triggered in my mind this week as I was reading that again. I've oftentimes subconsciously put myself in the healthy category. Jesus didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. And it's not because I'm, you know, like arrogant and it's like I'm so much better than everybody else. But when you read the context in which that is spoken, like he's talking about the, like the lame and the crippled and the, and the poor and people that were just desperately in need of Jesus. And so sometimes I've just subconsciously automatically put myself in the healthy category. But then I had to remind myself, like, are any of us so healthy that we don't need Jesus? And maybe that's a related to another aspect of our flesh, kind of this mechanism in our brains. And I bet you know the one. It causes us to point out the sin and the screw-ups in others. Maybe not just in others. Maybe it's somebody you know, or maybe it's just one person that you often compare yourself to, and so you like to point out their flaws and their failures and their screw-ups because when that happens, you feel a little bit better <laughs> about yourself, a little bit elation. It's like, what is that? Why does that exist inside of me? It's almost as, as if we want something bad to happen to somebody else, even though we would never say it, just so we can say, at least I'm not that bad. If any of that is even remotely true in your life, can I encourage you, maybe today during our response time, do it that soon, to sift out the self-righteousness that potentially exists in you and in me that would potentially attempt to put the value of someone else's life below the value of our life in God's eyes. Can I say it again? Can you sift out the self-righteousness that potentially exists in your life right now that would ever put someone else in a lesser value in God's eyes than you are in God's eyes? And let me take that a step further. If you've never referred to yourself as broken, like if you've never acknowledged that, if you've never had a conversation with someone and acknowledged, yes, I'm broken and I'm in need of Jesus, you might be flirting with self-righteousness. Because listen to me, we are all broken and in need of redemption all of us. And so I just want to say it together this morning. It's going to be group therapy. It's going to be good. I promise. Ready? Together. Ready? I am broken. One more time. Ready? Yeah, me too. And I actually think it's a beautiful thing when we can learn how to just be broken together. I really do. Because not only does God reject the self-righteousness in us, but listen to me, big statement here. Oftentimes it's our self-righteousness, which is why others will reject God. Maybe you need to write down this statement. People will hate us sometimes because we love Jesus. This is going to happen. People will hate us sometimes because we love Jesus, but people should never hate Jesus because of us. And the more we live out that on-mission statement that you should look at every time you walk out those doors right there that says to live, to, what's it say? To leave a trace of God's love. It's embarrassing. To leave a trace of God's love everywhere we go. Listen, when that actually becomes a part of our life, I believe that is attractive I believe when we're living that on-mission statement, when we're living that out and we're leaving traces of God's love everywhere we go, I believe that attracts people to us and it gives us more opportunities to point people to Jesus. And so my hope is that you don't just see that as kind of some fluffy statement that we throw around here because we want that to be a reality. Let me pick up in verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. 
Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owned, I'm sorry, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Jesus had a way of getting people to his main point through asking incredible questions. I love this about Christ. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose it's almost like I know what I just walked into. I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. I don't know about you, but I had a pretty big debt forgiven. Two DUIs, possession of marijuana, drug paraphernalia, concealed deadly weapon, attempt to elude an officer, trespassing. And those are just the things that I got caught doing. Not to mention I had a mullet. <clears throat> In Kentucky, we call that a Kentucky waterfall. <laughs> but because of his grace and his love and his mercy in my life because of meeting me in a jail cell after receiving a second DUI and knowing that he could redeem my life and he has for those of you that don't know my story I never wanted to be in ministry I had a great career I used to own a health club I've got a bachelor's degree in exercise science i got a master's in ministry now but I turned my life on that and devoted my life to this gospel because I know what it can do. I've devoted my life to this gospel because I know the power of redemption. I've devoted my life to this gospel because I can't be selfish with what I've seen God do in me because I know he can do it in you and I know he can do it in all those people that we know that maybe are living a messed up, jacked up life right now. When I actually think back to the people who've inspired me the most by the radical things they've done for God, generally speaking, it's been people that have been extremely jacked up and then they've come to faith in Jesus. And through that process, man, they just developed this radical love and this radical commitment to his gospel. I think back to the same church I mentioned a few moments ago when I was down in Arizona, and this was a church of like 10,000 people. And do you know who I saw lead the most people to Jesus? It wasn't a pastor. It was a tattoo artist who was addicted to heroin. And he came to faith in Christ, and it seemed like there was a season where every single week this guy was in the baptistry baptizing someone else again. And what he was doing is as he was giving people tattoos in his tattoo shop, he, he had an undivided attention, right? You're not going anywhere when somebody's giving you a tattoo. So he would just tell them about Jesus. And every week, man, he was bringing people to the Lord, and I was inspired and those kind of stories remind me that everyone, listen to me, everyone, everyone is invited. Let me pick up in verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, now I want to I illustrate this because I actually love this. He turned toward the woman, but he's talking to Simon. So let, let me just do this, okay? So he turns toward the woman and you're going to be Simon. And I'm Jesus, and I'm talking to the woman. He turns toward the woman, but he's talking to Simon. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? See this woman? I came into your house, but you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. would have been customary for that time. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, 
from the time that I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head. Again, customary for the time. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, young lady, your sins, they are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Can we just pause there for a moment? Because it doesn't say this in the text, but I can imagine that as they're kind of, the whispers are kind of filling the room, who is this that even forgives sins? And probably some other things too. It's like, how could he forgive her sins? And so my guess is Jesus is like, hey, don't listen. <laughs> don't listen to all this other chatter around here because there's always going to be people, and this is for somebody right now, there's always going to be people in your life that are going to want to try to pull you back and remind you of who you once were. I've had some of those people. And so maybe Jesus is doing something like that with this young lady right now. You're even going to have some religious people in your life that are going to continue to point out your flaws instead of point you towards forgiveness. And he looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. Verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith, your faith has saved you, so go in peace. You see, this woman found faith, ultimately, salvation, literally, literally, at the feet of Jesus. Jesus didn't say, hey, go get cleaned up and we'll talk in two weeks. He didn't say, hey, go write down everything that you've ever done wrong and then we can talk about whether or not you can be forgiven. He didn't make her take a class called Becoming a Christian so that she could understand all the tenets of the Christian faith before she could actually make a decision. No, he saw her heart. He knew her story. And he knew that she was repentant. He knew that she was broken. And he knew that she was ready to embrace him, that she was ready to embrace God, ready to embrace Jesus, ready to embrace salvation in a whole new way. And so ultimately he invited her into God's family because everyone, everyone is invited. Right now, I'm going to switch gears for just a moment. I'm going to start to land the plane here. Right now, I think Jesus is looking at someone that you know who desperately needs him. And so can we just kind of go back to that illustration? Right now, I think Jesus is looking at someone in each of our lives that we know, and as he's looking at them, he's saying, hey, Aaron, do you see this person? Yeah, yeah, I know they're messed up, and I know, like, if you look at the symptoms of their sin and their life, yeah, it's messiness, they're, they're jacked up a little bit. But do you see them? Because I see them. And I love them. And do you know that if you actually leverage your influence for me, if you leverage your influence to lead them closer to me, do you know that if you, if you just extended an invitation for them to come to church with you, do you know that they probably would say yes? Statistically speaking, 75% of the people that you know and ask to come to church will actually accept an invitation. Hold that thought really quick. One of the things that I try to do each and every Sunday is uh, stand outside and greet, greet you guys as you come in. Hopefully you've noticed that because I'm, like, I'm genuinely excited that you're here. I'm genuinely excited that you're here and I'm genuinely excited to see you. And from time to time, I'll see somebody standing out there and they're just kind of hanging out and I'm like, hey, what's up? You know, how you doing? They're like, oh, good. You know, I'm actually waiting for a friend. 
And they've invited someone, and so they're waiting to meet that person. And it's become one of my favorite things about Sunday because in that moment, it's not just the invitation. In that moment, I realized they get it. That person gets it. That person recognizes that they have influence that they can leverage. That person recognizes that everybody should be invited into the family of God. That, per- that person recognizes that, yes, there is some influence that we can have. And, yes, we don't need to bring them to church necessarily. But the local church, if you ask me, is the hope of the world when it's centered on Jesus. And so to invite them to come and be a part of this is probably one of the best things that you could do in 2020. Actually, let me say it differently because I think it needs to be said differently. I think one of the greatest goals that you can have in 2020 is to leverage your influence to get somebody at least closer to the feet of Jesus. Because it's only going to be him that can offer the saving grace that no matter how jacked up they've been, they can still be redeemed. May we always be a church and a people who care more about who's not in here than who is up here. And so here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to leverage your influence. I want to encourage you to invite someone to come with you next week. Now, I know for some of you, it's like, hey, you know, sometimes I want to do that, but I'm not sure what you're going to be preaching on, Aaron. And I've heard some of the message, messages that you preach, and so I don't ever know what they're going to be walking into. And so I get that. I don't necessarily agree with that because I think you should just invite them, let God take care of the rest. But I'll come your way a little bit, and so I'll give you a heads up on what I'm going to be preaching about next week. Next week, I want you to invite as many people as possible because we're going to be talking about how, depending on what you wear to church, you could be going to hell. And so, <laughs> obviously not. In a Speedo. Uh, No. Um, Next week, and I really do mean this, next week I'm going to preach a message on God's love that everybody needs to hear. Everybody. I'm going to preach a message on God's love that everybody needs to hear. And so maybe, let me give you some help, maybe this is what your invitation could sound like. Hey, my pastor said that he's going to be preaching a message next Sunday on love, and he says it's a message that he thinks everybody should hear Would you be willing to come with me? Leverage your influence. Extend the invitation and let God do the rest. Because everyone, everyone is invited into the family of God. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I think there's a lot of things we probably need to think about on the other side of this sermon. Father, I think a lot of times we say no for people. I think sometimes we hesitate because we're afraid they're going to ask us a question that we don't know how to answer. I think sometimes uh, we're afraid that if we say something about our faith or church or Christianity that it may influence the relationship. And so much of that is just not up to us. So much of that is really up to you. And so God, I just pray you help us to be bold. Help us to be bold in our invitations and an encouragement for people to come and be a part of what you're doing here. It's not a perfect church. We all get that. It's not a perfect church, but I believe you're doing something here, God, and I believe that we're working really hard to make sure that we're representing your love in an accurate way. And so, Father, I pray that right now in this next moment when we kind of go through this response time, that you would put a name in everyone's mind in here so that they could extend an invitation, not because we want to be a big church, but because we want everyone to know they're invited into the family of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. We're going to enter into a response time uh, right now, and I want to begin with this. 
if you've never made the decision to receive the saving grace of Jesus, if you've never made the decision to invite him to be the leader and Lord of your life, I want to encourage you to do that today, today. And hopefully something in my sermon has alluded to the fact that you don't have to go get your life cleaned up first. You don't have to, you know, know all the tenets of the Christian faith. You just have to accept his invitation. And he's inviting every one of you to follow him. It was a simple message he gave throughout his gospel. Hey, follow me. Just follow me. It's going to take some time for you to learn the ways, yeah, but follow me. And so if you've never made that decision, there's a connection card in the seat back pocket in front of you. Just pull it out, put your name down, and there's a couple boxes there that will let us know that you're ready to make that decision, and we'll follow up with you as soon as possible because we want to have a conversation with you about that. For the rest of us, this response time could look several different ways. For those of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we're going to celebrate with something called communion. And on these four tables where you see the four crosses, uh, there's some elements there. There's a piece of cracker that represents the broken body of Jesus that was given up for us on the cross, and a cup of juice that represents his blood that was spilled out for the forgiveness of our sins. And again, this is just for those of us that have made a decision to follow Jesus. We want to encourage you to go to one of those tables during this response time. And maybe you need to take a moment before you go there. That's okay. Like, Make sure that your, your posture is in the right place before you walk in that direction. And celebrate what the Lord has done for each of us by giving his life up on a cross and ultimately walking out of a tomb and defeating death so that we could have life. There's also some prayer tables in the back. And so if you want to go and write down a prayer request, we would love the opportunity to pray for you. Uh, you can also enter prayer requests through our app in the same way with giving. If you want to drop a, your offering off today in one of the buckets at one of the four tables or give through our app, you can do that as well. I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to encourage you to respond however you see fit. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be reminded of things that we need to be reminded of. We need to be reminded of things more often than we need to be taught. And so, Lord, hopefully today was a great reminder of several different things. God, hopefully every single Sunday when we come back to your table, the Lord's table, and we celebrate with communion, that that's a huge reminder of what, what it costs you so that our sins could be forgiven. And so, God, I just pray that this is a moment, a sweet moment between us and you, a thin space. And so, Lord, we just ask for your presence. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.